0: People have absolutely no confidence in Baltimore City Police.
1: They violated their constitutional rights to be secured within their person and their property. It's like the police don't have
2: any respect for us, period. It's a lot of brothers and women too that's incarcerated for things they had nothing to do with.
1: not a panacea. Constitutional policing just means yes. treat
2: everyone equally.
3: Welcome to Truth and Reconciliation, a podcast that recounts the troubled history of law enforcement in Baltimore and the search for solutions to heal from it.
1: A forum for providing a voice for people who have suffered at the hands of law enforcement and to inform and empower
0: others through their experiences. And a show ultimately about holding power accountable through stories, thoughts, and discussion. A podcast about what ails us and sustains us too as we try to cure the violence that plagues the city. I'm Stephen Janis.
3: I'm Taya Graham.
0: And I'm Sean Yos,
1: And we're your hosts. As soon as I turned on, it flashed breaking news. And then their faces just came
4: right on. I was like... That's everybody in my case. My message is always the same, you know, put the gun down. Nobody got to die.
3: Today, we have guests who will focus on two aspects of the truth that are rarely reconciled in Baltimore.
4: We will
1: speak with Ivan Potts, who was falsely arrested by the Gun Trace Task Force. And then we will be joined by Corey Winfield
0: from Bassay Streets, a violence mediation program in Baltimore, who will share a story about just how quickly violence can be precipitated in Baltimore.
3: Both interviews will shed light on the grim realities that underscore how difficult it is to repair a community with deep scars from policies whose repercussions are not fully understood or discussed.
1: All this coming up on Truth and Reconciliation.
0: So, about seven or eight years ago, I decided to write a book with a homicide detective, um, Kelvin Sewell. And the reason I decided not to just write a book about crime or about crimes, but what I wanted to do was to try to understand the origins of violence in the community. Because, to me, and I don't know, Sean, you have more experience with this than I do, but to me, do we really ever discuss what prompts people... To act out? Do we, Do you think we haven't ever have an honest conversation? Because that was the point of me writing this book. Well,
1: we 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 we're having those conversations more frequently in the past several years, especially mm-hmm. since the uprising in 2015. Obviously, um, there were always individuals that, who wanted to have those conversations, um, but I believe I'm hoping I'm believing that those conversations are being more broadly had, um, yeah. especially since 2015. But um, to that point, though. At the root of violence in our city is almost always poverty. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Almost always, yeah. Um, and and that is the that is the the big discussion, the ubiquitous discuss- discussion that we have to have in, in our
0: city. Well, Taylor, you helped me edit the book. And you know that a lot of the cases that we wrote about were just precipitated by a, s- a simple conflict, like over right. a, a cell phone, right? Right, or a
3: simple a simple slight, a, a matter of disrespect, which right. perhaps to people who live in other communities may not seem, seem as inexplicable. important. It might seem even inexplicable. But you have to remember when you are living in a community that has been deprived of uh, economic mobility, of social mobility, of, of even access to equal and and. and fair education, you can understand how it is so easy for a small slight to turn into something big. And
0: Sean, you're going to interview Ivan Potts mm-hmm. in this segment, and he has a story about being arrested by the Gun Trace Task Force. How much do you think of the violence that we experience in the city is partic- precipitated by um P- police, like the Gun Trace Task Force, corrupt units that arrest people illegally and destroy their lives. Well,
1: I think what, we, what we've seen, quite frankly, and I'm, I, this, this may sound comedic to some people, but I think the Gun Trace Task Force had a huge uh, impact on a lot of these crazy arrests. That we've seen mm-hmm. uh, in, in in recent years. I mean, yeah. th- their their work has literally tainted thousands of cases in Baltimore yeah, City. Absolutely. And
0: just so people know, the Gun Trace Task Force was a group of s- now nine officers who were indicted and pled guilty uh, and were convicted of robbing residents, robbing drug dealers, overtime fraud, overtime fraud, fraud, fraud. racketeering. It goes on. you on. was evidence. Like, Yeah.
3: False imprisonment, uh, guns. kidnapping. <laughs>
0: And, you know, I, but I think one thing we don't recognize is that how this violence precipitated by police begets violence, right? Is that a, is that a no, wrong assumption? I, I,
1: I don't think so at all. And one of the things that Ivan uh, told us in in a, in a prior interview is how his interaction with police was in in his mind almost almost as if police were admitting that they were just like the criminals that they were right. pursuing I was always taken aback by that statement because I, first of all I know it's true but to hear him speak it so plainly uh...
0: Is, is something that a lot of people need to hear. And one thing, Taya, that was really interesting, you were covering City Hall with me, and the mayor was asked a question about whether or not she was paying attention to the gun Trace task force trial. There were two officers on trial, uh, Daniel Herschel and Marcus Taylor, and she said, no, I mean as a reporter, doesn't that, how does that, just so people know who maybe not from Baltimore, how big is the Gun Trace Task Force story?
3: Okay, the Gun Trace Task Force story, it ranks right up there with the Rampart scandal that occurred in L.A. We are talking about the movie, The Training Day. That was the L.A. Rampart scandal. The Gun Trace Task Force scandal absolutely deserves its own movie. This is a huge issue of corruption, probably one of the biggest stories of police corruption in the country in this century.
1: Trust me, it will movie are I'm not Ron?
3: but I'm, I, it's only a matter of time it, it, okay.
0: seems, it seems clear alright so coming up on Truth and Reconciliation we will have an interview with Ivan Potts who's arrested by the Gun Trace Task Force that Sean will be conducting and also Sean will be talking to Corey Winfield from State Streets about how violence erupts on Baltimore City Streets that's all coming up next on Truth and Reconciliation
2: certified society shit baby give him the game. here you go baby you know what they at me like I'm trying to crack Train, train, train.
0: This is Stephen Janice reporting for the Real News Network in Baltimore City, Maryland. Today, U.S. Attorney Rod Rosenstein makes a stunning announcement. Seven police officers indicted for fraud, drug dealing, theft, money laundering, and racketeering. The seven defendants were members of the Gun Trace Task Force of the Baltimore City Police Department and during the course of their membership in that task force they conspired to engage in a racketeering conspiracy. The crimes included robbery of victims, overtime fraud, filing of false police reports, and a variety of other illegal activities.
1: By now the entire world has heard about Baltimore's notorious Gun Trace Task Force, the group of now nine officers who have pleaded guilty to galling series of crimes, extortion, racketeering, robbing drug dealers and residents. Recently, two of the officers, Daniel Hersell and Marcus Taylor, were found guilty by a federal jury. But with all the focus on the nefarious deeds of these disgraced officers, little attention has been paid to the victims. Today, we speak to one of them, Ivan Potts. Ivan, welcome to the show. Mm-hmm. How y'all doing today? we doing good. Glad to have you. G- glad to have you. Absolutely. Um, okay. I just would start off by asking you to recount the night that you were arrested by some members of the Gun Trace Task Force. Um, on the West Side. Um, it was summertime, right? Yeah, it was summertime. Yeah. And um, basically, I was walking to the the
2: store, and they the knockers came up the one way,
1: spent the corner, and jumped out on me. What, what, wasn't it what, what street was that on again Chelsea 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 mm-hmm. there. Um, and and at that point what did, you, what did you think I mean obviously you knew that you were getting hit by the knockers but I mean what, what, what were you thinking because you weren't you weren't dirty right no I wasn't dirty right. no um,
2: I mean we it's, it's normal you know so it wasn't like it was like oh well, they jumped out on me hey once again it was normal so it wasn't like I wasn't used to it. Right. They jump out on us every day. So it's like, it's normal. But when the the other stuff came into play, you know
1: what I mean, that's when things like went left. One thing you said to us when we we had interviewed you during a previous previous time on our former radio show was you said basically that the police had an attitude towards y'all basically saying, we're just like y'all. Right. Remember when you when you told us that explain that for 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 us again. I
2: mean, because, you know, police got this notion like that they soft or, you know, they they was geeks in school or whatever. So now in 2018, police is like, I'm a gangster like you. Mm. I just I'm even more of a gangster because I got a badge. Mm. I could do what you do and get away with it. Right. You know what I mean? So it's like I'm a super gangster.
1: Wow. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, but, and, and, all right, so I, I now I want you to go back to um, when you were in your jail cell. You, had, you went through the trial process. Mm-hmm. You served like about two or two and a half years, mm-hmm. right? You're sitting in your jail cell and talking about gangsters. You see members of the gun trace task force getting indicted getting arrested on television while you're in jail and you like these are some of the guys that arrested me yeah like, talk we talk about that remember? that was like i ain't gonna lie that was like
2: it was like god answered my prayers like i couldn't believe it like I, till this day, i still be like the hell like till this day i remember just it's just i'm i'm changing through the channels and then I get to the news channel and it, it flashed. Like, as soon as I turned on it, it flashed, breaking news. And then they faces just came right on. I was like, that's everybody in my case. That's all the officers in my case. Not one officer that was indicted wasn't in my case, except for, you know, the excluding the four. Right. But the other three, all of them was in my case. So it was like, everything that I've been trying to tell people finally came to light. You know, like, even if I was locked up, if this never would have came to light, my story would have never, nobody would have ever believed my story.
1: Well, even at that point, when you saw those officers on the TV, your cellmate was like, nah, nah, right? Yeah, he got tired of me keep talking about my case. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody was like, I'm talking to everybody
2: about my case. Like, I'm in a rec hall with all my paperwork. I got stacks of paper every day I'm in a rec hall. I'm going to the law, law library at least three to four times out of a week. You know what I mean? So it was like I just fell in love with my case. It was just like fall in love with this and try to give your time back. Because I I knew, like, if they could have got me straight up, I wouldn't have got me. You know what I mean? But how they got me, it was just like, come on, that's not fair. You know what I mean? And I had to really dig into the paperwork and actually read and understand the law to interpret it and um, be able to apply the law, because at first I was just confused, like, but I just started reading the um, United States Constitution. That's what I just started reading from the jump, and I started reading about due process and uh, the Fourth Amendment, um, and once I started understanding that, like, I, and I read my trial, I was
0: like, they went against everything that this is saying. So which, um, you had three of the officers testify at your trial. Which officers were from the Gun Trace Task Force? Which one were they? All three of them. But which ones was that? Evadio, Hendricks,
2: uh, uh, Ward, and
0: uh, Jenkins. Jenkins. And so they gave testimony directly about you having it. What did they say exactly? I mean, all three of these statements was just different. It, it,
2: like the way they the, the way they describe how they approached me was different because they didn't have. I, I I don't know if they 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 probably didn't never rehearse their testimony with each other. So when they testified, it was like one was out the room he couldn't hear what he was saying so it was like you know they couldn't hear each other so once they testified uh one i think it was i don't i can't actually remember who said what and what mm-hmm. but i know all three of them did say this one of them said that they they went up the one way and as they was coming up the one way i turned the corner i stopped i looked at him i whipped out a gun i turned around and fled and I turned the corner. Once they uh, um, caught up with me, I didn't have nothing in my hand, so it, that they they thought I threw it, right? And they found the gun in the in, a, in the grass or whatever. The second story was they came up the one way, I stopped, I looked at him, turned around and ran and turned the corner. Hmm. He never even seen a gun, right? The third story was... Uh, they came up. I stopped, looked at them, turned around, and as I was running, I pulled. A, they they noticed me p- going in my dip, pulling out something in my dip. He really don't know what it was. So the jury, so, oh, go
0: ahead, go ahead, <clears throat> I was say the jury never picked up on the fact that they were giving conflicting stories. And your no, charity?
2: and I was like it was like I hid, So I'm telling my lawyer like po- point that out. You know what I mean? But it was like it was just focusing on me.
3: Did the, did these officers do anything to try to get your prints on this gun?
2: I, they yeah, recovered? yeah, like that's what that's how the whole physical altercation came about. Okay, you know what I mean? Because you know, once you' are sitting on the curb and then they come out, it's just just imagine you riding in your car, they pull you over, mm-hmm. your car not dirty, but he come out your car with a gun.
0: So what has life been like since you've been out? You've been doing the music, which we're gonna, which we heard in the intro, and yeah. we're gonna play a little bit after. What's it been like for I'm, you trying to recover? It,
2: I mean, it's, it's been difficult, but, you know, I'm optimistic. So I don't look at it like—it I, I it was just harder for me. So it's hard for me to say, you know, it's hard out here when I was just locked up and nobody would even listen to me or nobody would even pay me attention. You know, I was just like the the millions of inmates locked up in America. So right now I'm blessed. You know, I'm happy. I, I, I we up and even though my employment situation ain't the best, but you know I, I'm doing my music. People helping me. You know, a lot of people trying to reach out to me. You know what I mean? So I'm just blessed.
0: And you did testify in Annapolis, right? About yeah. what did you testify about? Just talk a little bit about. well
2: oh, um, it's a bill, uh, HB forty-seven, and it's to uh, support people like myself that's coming home, and um, basically we try. I'm trying to get compensated because I haven't been compensated. Nothing. You know, for the time I spent in prison, I, I they ain't they didn't give me nothing. So it's like that that a uh, delicate uh, Bilal, mm-hmm. he he um he basically want me to support his bill, and you know I'm all for it. I'm all for, for for trying to support people that's in my
1: situation. What kind of? I mean, what do you what do you what do you hope to kind of? What do you, what is the message of the music that you? Um, that you're putting out I mean we heard it The production is tight Your flow is tight mm-hmm. um, um, But what is the message That you want to put out To the people That listen to your music What I'm giving you In my
2: music Is my outlook on Baltimore Baltimore lifestyle I'm just giving you The lifestyle of Baltimore You know what I mean The do's and don'ts And The culture of Baltimore Because our City don't really We not really exposing The culture a lot of artists out here are trying to expose the tr- culture, and they are doing good. And I support a lot of artists out here, but I just wanted, wanted to get it where though it's not local. You know what I mean? We on a bigger stage. Right. So I started Certified Society
1: Entertainment. But um, the reality is that the, the culture that you're talking about and your music is authentic because your experiences are authentic. Right. Yeah.
2: So it's just real music. Yeah. You know what I mean? No, none of my stuff is like watered down. A person can't listen to my music and say, okay, let's look at his life. And, and see I, I went I had a hard life. My life wasn't easy at all, but I never gave up on being me and trying to be successful.
1: Ivan Potts, thank you for sharing your story with us. We appreciate you. Thank Take you
2: Cause it was had my try to crucify the king and me I can't believe it. Guilty when I went to trial. I can't believe they found me guilty when I went to trial. I can't believe they found me guilty when I went to trial. I looked at my mama and I ain't see a smile. Help, help,
3: help.
1: know the city spends the bulk of its discretionary budget on policing and we've seen the results. Years of violence that although recently has ebbed continues to plague us. But a program that takes a different approach may finally be getting some traction in Annapolis. It's called Safe Streets, a program that employs people from the community to mediate conflicts. And research indicates it's working but perhaps even more important in the wake of all the scandals within the Baltimore police department is the community ready to embrace a new way of thinking about public safety to discuss this shift in public thinking and the push in Annapolis to provide a steady stream of funding for the expansion of the program. We're joined in the studio by Corey Winfield. Corey Winfield is violence prevention coordinator for safe streets. Corey, welcome to the show.
4: Thank you for having me.
1: Of course. Um, Why don't you explain what Safe Streets is, what it does?
4: Well, Safe Streets is a public health initiative to reduce shootings and homicides in targeted neighborhoods around Baltimore City. Now, everybody has a misconception because they think that once we're in a zone, area, we have the whole area on the whole zone. We don't. We just have a targeted parameter of the area from which they put us in. So it's a very specific area, right? Right, where where they have viewed that a lot of gun violence and violence have taken place in this particular area. So, but um, so when they put us in there, our job is to get in, detect, interrupt potentially violent, dangerous situations, mobilize the community, identify high risk and targeted individuals. So, talk about the process of
1: actually doing that, though. I mean, what do you, what is it that you, what is it that you do with an individual, say, for instance, um, who is in a scenario where violence seems like it's imminent? What what what, do you, what is what is your what is your organization? What does your group do about those in, in those specific circumstances?
4: Well, the first thing that we do um, is we have a form that we believe that works. It's canvassing. It's building rapport, it's, Times mediation equals a reduction in shootings and homicides. So, and what that means is that we're out there, we we canvassing every day. We we out in the community, we walking, um, we 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 just going around. And once we identify individuals that we believe is high risk, that the ones that's actually carrying the guns, the ones that's actually out there shooting, that's that's committing the homicides or has the potential of getting a self kill. So we identify them, so, and then we engage them. So engaging them meaning that we're building reports. So we're building reports with key risk individuals and high risk individuals that help us to, to help us find out what's going on so we can mediate the situation. And once we mediate the situation, then that brings down the violence.
3: Now, Corey, you were in Annapolis and you were giving some testimony. You shared a story. Would you mind uh, sharing that again?
4: I always I always like to paint pictures because I believe that in order to really know what we do, you have to see, visualize what we do and how we do it. So one particular night, we're out canvassing. So we just, myself, we, we always in twos or threes, and we just attack certain points, right? So me and myself and another violence interrupter, we're out, so we're walking, you know, we're hanging out, we're canvassing, we canvassing, um, we're going around looking for certain individuals that we know that's always into something, that, that always got a gun on them, just, to, just so they can see us, right? That's very important. They got to see us every day. They got to see us, right? So I'm standing on one end of the corner, and the VR is standing on another end of the corner. So I hear him call me, Corey, Corey, Corey. So I look down, now. And it's like 30 people down there. And he in the middle of it. So I was like, oh, so I'm running down the street. So while I runs, I grab my phone and I call another VR. And I say, listen, I need the team around here. And this is where we at. It's emergency situation, right? So I runs down. So I run down. It's a fight. So he trying to grab somebody and, and they swinging. So we in the middle. So I jump in the middle and I grab somebody. You know what I mean? And, 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 and I'm getting hit and I'm pushing people away. I'm telling people stop, hold up, stop, hold up, hold up. So when I turn around and look, a car come behind me. So I look down and I see this young man getting ready to get out. And when I observe, he has a machine gun in his lap. Oh, good God. So I fall back on the car. Now I just I leaves the person that I'm with that had a knife. really. And I already took his knife, so I push the car door back. Boom! and Now falls back on. So he said, "Get out the way, big quad. Nah, no, no. So I look and I see another VI. He running down the street. So I say, "Don't let him get out the other side." So he said, "Huh?" I said, "Don't let him get out the other side, cause I know his, his, he's gonna pass. Spray. He gonna pass it over, right. right? So when he get and he see, he say, oh, when he." Push the door back. So now we got the door there in the coop. A Honda Accord coop. So two doors. So they, we got both of the doors secure. So now I'm on the glass. So I said if you shoot, you're gonna have to shoot through this window with me. Let us do this. We got this. We got this. Nah, nah, nah. Get out of the way. Get out of the way. I'm tired of that. I'm tired of this. I'm tired of it I'm like, nah. We got this. We got this. You gotta leave, man. Leave. Leave. Do not you not it's babies on the block. It's kids out here. It's summertime. You know, I said, you can't be shooting that. It's kids out here. It's summertime. You know, so we wasn't leaving. I wasn't getting off the car. Right. So finally, I got him to get off. The, I the Finally, I got him to leave, right? So I put somebody down the one end of the block, and I put somebody down the other end of the block, and I stayed at the alley, and I said, do not let anybody, I don't care who they is, get on this block until we get this together. You know, if they live there, just tell them, hold up for a second. You know what I'm saying? They can come, with, but they do not let them on this block. Because you know they had double around and come through, Mm -hmm. run through alleys and all that kind. We already know that, right? So, in the process of doing all that, now we got to figure out what's going on. So, apparently, it was a Mm crip that was crip walking down a gangster Disciple block. And there was one block with gangster Disciples, right? And it was like seven or eight of them. You know, so, and I was like, when I when I first found out about him, I was like, well, we got gangster disciples now in the neighborhood. You know, so he used to come every day because he liked it, one of the one of the women that lived on the block. So he would creep walk down the street, which is disrespectful to the GDS. So every they ignored them for like a month. They didn't pay him any attention. So one particular day, he was like, nah, they beat him up. So now he goes and make the call, right? And just just what happened, us walking through that, you know, just take that detour, we ran right into the smack in the middle of it, right? So that 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 could have potentially been a d- disastrous situation. So two things, right, Corey.
1: Number one, you wouldn't—that would not have been—that would not have turned out the way it did if you had not had a relationship with that young man. Of course. So that's really at the essence of what you're talking about, building relationships with these young men.
4: Well, what what the essence is, we're we're credible messengers. That's the most important thing that has to be out there. Credible messengers. Individuals that, that the people that that you're targeting can identify you Mm -hmm. and, and look at you as, you know, he used to be out here. You know, he was one of us. You know what I mean? So, and I'm gonna listen to him,
0: but that relationship—the relationship you build—is kind of different than what the police department has. I mean, you have a relationship that's a lot more intimate. That is a little different, right?
4: Well, well, the relationship that we build—we build a relationship on, on the merits of we once was the 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 cause of the problem. You know, I, I tell I tell a youth all the time, like, man, okay, I I I, I know. What you doing, I know how you did it, I know how you think, you know what I'm saying? I know how to load a gun, I know how to put the clip in there, I know how to put pull it pull a handle back, put the safety on, put it in my dip, I know how to do all that, unless you know another way. You know what (laughs) what I'm saying? Like I I know all that, but you know, but it's another let me tell you what's gonna happen once you do that. You know, then you go do what you wanna do with that. Right. Two things are going to happen. You're going to end up in one of these court systems, even Lombard Street or Calvary Street, right. or you're going to end up at the mortuary.
3: Corey, let me ask you a question. When you were describing basically throwing your body against the door to make sure that someone couldn't use a gun. Right. Now, when police go out there to deal with violence, they've got batons, they've got vests, they've got guns, they've got a badge, they've got the law on their side. What do you have to protect you?
4: I have me. I have my credibility. I have who I am. As a man, as an individual, I have I have the respect of the streets. That's what I have, and that's what I stand on. And then, and once you see me and you know me, and I know you, and every day you hear you listen to me, and my message is always the same. Mm-hmm. You know, put the gun down. Nobody gotta die, man. Let us do this. Let me help you get a job every day, seven days a week, 24 hours a day. When when I approach you, my message is always the same. Like, you know, you don't have to wake up in the penitentiary, man. You don't have to. You know, I went to prison when I was 17. I came home. I was 37. That don't have to be you. Corey Winfield is Violence Prevention Coordinator
1: for Safe Streets. Corey, thank you for joining us, man. We appreciate thank
3: you. Thank you so much. Thank you course. for
1: having And thank you for all you're doing for the
4: city to keep it safer. We appreciate that.
3: Yeah, we really do. Yeah.
4: Thank you for the awareness and thank you for getting our message out there. Big shout out to Catholic Charges.
3: What did I do? What did I say? What did I want? Was it too much? What did I ask? Was it enough?
1: Is it so? Thank you for joining us for Truth and Reconciliation.
3: Truth and Reconciliation is produced by Taya Graham, Stephen Janis, and Sean Yost for Ace Spectrum Productions. The show is edited by Stephen Janis.
0: Thank you to our engineer, Sienna Greaves. Please make sure to join us for our next podcast and contact us on Facebook and Twitter if you want to recommend a topic for us to discuss. I'm Stephen Janis. I'm Sean Yost.
3: And I'm Taya Graham. Thank you so much for joining us on Truth and Reconciliation.